0: Chapter 16, we've come as far as verse 16. So let's read there. It says, a little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, what is this that he's talking about? A little while you shall not see me. And again, a little while you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith that he's talking about? A little while. We cannot tell what he's saying. Now, Jesus knew, as he always does, that they were desirous to ask him. So he said unto them, do you inquire in yourselves, of that that I said, a little while you shall not see me. And again, a little while you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall not weep, that you shall weep and you shall lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your, faith, your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. And in that day you shall ask, uh, ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, purpose that your joy may be full. So, <clears throat> this last night, it's been a long day. It's Passover, somehow the dinner set up earlier, uh, gathering together. Judas gone out, whatever emotions are involved with all of that. Peter being told, yeah, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Their hearts are heavy. They're asking particular questions. And, and they know now, as they're listening, there's a certain weight to this. It's, it's worn on them to the point when they go from here to Gethsemane, uh, they, they they fall asleep. Peter, James, and John fall asleep with earshot of him, as he's agonizing three times has to come and say, Yo, guys, can't you stay awake with me? They're worn. And part of it here, these things, look, these are the last things that he has to say to his disciples before the crucifixion. He's going to turn in chapter 17 from the disciples to his father in heaven. So it's the last thing he's saying to them. And as we get into 16 and the end of 16, it's almost a crescendo. He he takes them places that he wants them to remember that he knows are going to mean more to him after his crucifixion and resurrection. And he begins by saying, in a little while. and We're going to have that phrase seven times in verses 16 to 19. A little while. It's Micron. In the Greek, you have a micrometer, you know, micromanagement, you know, people who do that. Micron, in a little while, he says, you're not going to see me. And then a little while after that, he says, in a little while then, you shall see me because I go to the Father. So he's constantly, as we go through, repeating this sense of a little while. So it must be important to you and I as well. There's going to be so much grief and sorrow on the front end. He wants them to understand it's not going to continue. This is just a little while and you're going to see me again. little while, hours at this point in time, Gethsemane, the arrest and so forth. A little while, you're not going to see me. Interesting, the word there, see, just means to gaze at, to look at. They had done that for years with him, watching him, listening to them. A little while, you're not going to see me. And then he says, and then a little while, and you shall see me. That's a different word. It means to perceive, to understand. Because when the first little while is over, the crucifixion to the resurrection, and then the resurrection comes, they're going to see him vastly different than they saw him before the resurrection. They don't understand that. They don't know what he's saying. We're, We're told here their reaction, they said, well, They said, you know, some, I don't know if we're given some the benefit of the doubt here, but then said of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he's saying unto us? It's a present tense. He's, he's saying continually. What is this that he's saying unto us? A little while you shall not see me. And again, a little while you shall see me. And because I go to the Father, what is he talking about? Do you guys know what he, And they're probably whispering, what is he talking about? What is he saying? Like in a classroom at school, you turn around and say, what? You know, and now he's going to know, obviously. Look, they know that he is talking about being crucified. That's been over and over. They know that they're heading into this dark hour. They have a sense of that from him. They know that he's going to the grave. One where they just know the heaviness of that at this point. And then they're thinking, well, then what does it mean he's going to see me again? You're going to see me again after that. What is, what is all this about? They had been with him, three of them, when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So they knew something of physical resurrection. All of them had seen the widow of Nain's son raised from the dead. All of them had been at the tomb of Lazarus, who was already deteriorating and called forth. But all three of them had to die again. And in their minds are thinking, you know, what does this mean? He's going to the grave. How are we going to see him again? Is it going to be like those guys that we've watched? Is it going to be like that? And verse 18 says, they said, therefore, they continued, it was a perfect tense, they kept talking about this. What is it that he means, a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Now, wonderfully, Jesus knows, even though they don't know. And he's going to address it. They continued asking, look, like us, you and I, so many times we have questions. So many times the Lord is doing something in our lives Sometimes we're confused about what's going on. It doesn't seem consistent with him. And these apostles were no more human than you and I. The same thought process, the same weight on their heart. Just as you and I quite often have questions about what he may be doing in our day, he says in a little while, But look, their their question is going to be answered. They don't know that yet. First, they're going to have sorrow, but his body is going to rise from the dead. The same body that was tortured and beaten is coming out of the tomb. A physical body is going to rise and come back. He's going to, again, interact with this world. For 40 days, he's going to be with them, sit with them, eat with them joke with them, talk to them, teach them. He's going to interact with this world again, but he is of another world at the same time. Important for you and I to realize, uh, Paul made sure that we would understood, he says, many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's the day we're living in, isn't it? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, and they mind earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we expectantly look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Uh, This this change, this transformation is going to take place. He's got to go there. They're going to have sorrow. They're going to lament. They're going to have anguish. He has to do it this way, because on the other side of this, the same human physical body human mother, divine father, that he was wearing, that you and I are wearing, he has to take that through the passion, the beating, the mocking, the scourging, the thorns, the crucifixion, for you and I. He has to take our skin and bones through that, so then on the other side, when he rises, he's not just victorious over death, he has defeated death. He's abolished it. He's taken the fangs out of it. It's toothless. There's still death, but it has no hold on us anymore. Here we are in these physical frames. We, you know, we have all kinds of medical problems. All kinds of things go on. We wrestle. The, the idea is because he did that, wearing one of these, and it got up again, and he had to do it in in a human body that he's raised now, and he's ascended into the presence of the Father forever, with with what we're wearing and what we will wear. See, resurrection is defined to them by their experience with him after his death and entombment. It's when he rises from the dead that they look and they're amazed. They appear, Luke 24 told us, and we looked at it last week on Easter... It says, As they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said, Peace be unto you. But they're afraid. They suppose he was a ghost. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while. They yet believed not for joy, and wondered. He said unto them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb, and he took it, and he did eat it before them. It's wonderful to know, huh? What went down is going to get up, and we're still going to eat on the other side of all of this. It's a wonderful thing to realize. But he wants them to know. He wants them to know. To realize what's taking place here, Um, he uses this, you know, chance, this opportunity to speak to them and say, "You're confused about a little while, a little while," because he knows, compared to what's ahead, it it is a little while. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep. That's going to happen, and you're going to lament. But the world is going to rejoice. You shall be sorrowful in contrast to the world, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. You know, he had to suffer in a human body so that our human bodies could be raised. They, they, he had said there were things he wanted to say to them. They weren't ready to hear it. He's trying to prepare them for this little while. He wants to keep seven times. He wants to keep that in their mind and in our minds. It's going to go by like that, like a vapor. It's going to be gone. And he wanted to prepare them so that on the other side they would understand the joy that was set before them. And he says this, look. The world's going to rejoice because the world thought it was getting rid of him. Just like the world today. They're invading churches with their intelligence uh, that, that are trying to stop us from teaching the word or reading the Bible. That hate us because we have morality that is not in keeping what, with their definition of what morality is. The, the, and the world is starting to rejoice as the screws are being tightened down on the church and on Christians and on Jesus' followers. That's the world that we're living in. Jesus says, they're going to rejoice. You have to understand, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to lament. You're going to have anguish. Job would say this, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon the earth? that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment a little while right a little while a little while kind of often is determined by experience though uh, by feelings <clears throat> a little while in a dentist chair <laughs> half hour doesn't seem like a little while. Nothing like the smell of burning enamel, but you know you're there, you know, half hour. Half hour in front of a prime rib roast is so different, right? Right? So the little while depends on your perspective, your position, what you're experiencing. And he understands that. He says, but on the other side of this. There's going to be joy. The, the world now is going to rejoice because of what it does to me. But he says, your joy is going to be turned, it's, it's going to be turned, your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. It doesn't say your sorrow is going to be replaced by joy. Your sorrow is going to be substituted by joy. He says your sorrow is going to be turned into. The sorrow itself is going to be turned into joy. not taken away not substituted transition our experience in this world look one of the first things a baby learns is mine right mine and when the baby does that holds on to something and you know if you try to take it away ah, they start to scream mine so what you do is you hold out something a substitute that is more tantalizing, and then they let go of what they have to take the other thing. He doesn't say, sorrow, joy is going to substitute for sorrow. Because substitution is one thing, transitioning is another thing. Transition speaks of time, it speaks of maturity. He says, your joy, your your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. He doesn't say there's no sorrow in this world. doesn't say that wicked people don't rejoice. But he says, your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And he uses that to give an example now, to set something before them. He says in verse 21, a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. The idea is she doesn't go on just... You don't really forget that, but she doesn't. You don't go on just keep thinking about that. Remembereth, tells us the present tense. Remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. He says this, look, understand that the same baby that causes the pain is the same baby that causes the joy. The cause of your sorrow will not be removed, but the cause of your sorrow will be the very thing that transitions into joy. The cause of your sorrow, watching me beaten beyond human recognition, my beard ripped out of my face, spit upon, mocked, taken to trial to trial, you know, scourged, crown of thorns on my head, hanging on the cross, things that are unthinkable to you, All of those things are in the process of transitioning into a joy when this physical human body conquers death and rises from the grave. He says, just like the same baby that causes the pain is the same baby that causes the joy, the same body, my same frame that you love, that causes your pain and sorrow will be the same frame that causes your joy. Paul would say it to us like this. He would say, "In it, I Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on, doesn't say it's not mortal anymore, must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? That is going to be the joy that they're going to have, seeing him stand on the other side. Look, the person sitting next to you, you're going to spend eternity with them. Not in some ethereal, you know, but in reality. To sit with, to talk with. Same face, same body, but glorified. Jesus had the same frame. It, had, it was It was different in the sense that it appeared and it disappeared, but it was the same physical frame. They sat with him, they ate with him, they talked with him. And it would become the central part of their message. In the book of Acts, we're told this, <clears throat> when they're looking for someone to replace um, Judas, Peter says, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, one must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Somebody who was there, who felt him, who talked with him, who ate with him, who saw it, and then saw him afterwards till the time he was taken up. Peter, when he's at the house of Cornelius, Witnessing to him says, We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Peter says the central part of our message is we were there. We saw it. We fellowshiped with him. After he was risen from the dead, we ate with him. We talked with him. He still had a physical frame. And for you and I, I think, you know, Jesus says, look, here's the central thing. Love one another as I've loved you. The person who's sitting next to you who may drive you crazy, That's not your spouse, of course. somebody on the other side. (laughs) Understand. One instant on the other side, all of that will be gone. Understand we have eternity together. Understand the same person that you can reach over and touch now will be the same person you will be able to reach over and touch in glory. Understand that when the rapture happens this room will be empty first and third service will still be here but second service <laughs> yeah, second service will be gone right and if you're still here when that happens help yourself to the bookstore <clears throat> he he's he's in this last night with them communicating with them something he thinks you know is is preeminent in what he wants to communicate with them at this point in time. And in verse 22, he says this. He says, and you now, therefore, the, the on, the phrase there means so with you. He's relating it back to verse 21. A woman in travail. She's having birth pains. I watched my wife do this four times. And it's way fun afterwards than it is on the front end. And the same baby that causes the pain is the same one that brings joy afterwards. He says, so with you. That example I just gave, understand how that applies to your life now. Ye now therefore, literally so with you, you have sorrow. You're in the same circumstance. There's sorrow now. But I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man's going to take away from you. When you see me on the other side of this, when we sit down and for 40 days and 40 nights, we talk, we laugh, we share food. You know, John would tell us in his first epistle that which we have seen, that which we have heard with our ears, that which we have handled with our hands. That's what we want to get across to you. That's what we want you to understand. And in that experience, their joy is going to be full, he says. Being with that resurrected Lord. Sorrow, temporary. The joy he's talking about, permanent, because it's rooted in him. Important, because he says, so with you. Look. These men are going to serve the Lord with joy. And a part of their strength is going to be those 40 days that they spent with him. How do you threaten people like that? How do you threaten people that have been 40 days with a risen Christ who who, who defeated the grave? Same physical frame. Didn't just, not just victorious, he completely defeated death. He completely shut it down. The same body, dead for three days, three days, a little while, rises, and they're fellowshipping with him. There's a, the same physical frame is going to ascend into heaven. He didn't just disappear, I gotta go now. No, that physical body, when he comes back to the Father's throne, he's fully human, body, soul, and spirit. That's huge for us here today. A lot of folks here with broken hearts, they've lost loved ones. One second on the other side, all that fixed. One second on the other side, you're able to do this again. It's reality. It's not ethereal. He knows that these men will all be martyred. They're all going to be martyred, but John. He knows that they will face sorrow. He knows he's planted in their minds a little while. Over and over, a little while. And on the other side of that, there's a joy that no one's ever going to take away from you. Any more than anybody can take the joy from the mother after the birth of the child. In verse 23, he says, and in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. In that day, after the short while, you shall ask me nothing. Now he doesn't mean, he doesn't, the idea is we're not going to question him in the sense of, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? Oh, how can we know the way unless you show us the way? What do you mean, you know, a little while, a little while? He, he says, when well, the other side of that tomb, when I stand there risen in a glorified body, you're not going to ask me about all this. It doesn't say they won't ask questions because they're going to they're say, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But the idea is in regards to this little time, in regards to his suffering, in regards to this, Those questions will be gone. They'll be erased in front of the cross, in front of your cross, my cross, whatever sorrow or difficulty we might have. We have questions. We can be confused. We can be filled with doubt. What does all this mean? How's this going to happen? But on the other side of it, he says there's a joy there that no one can take away from. You sit with me, hang out, break bread with me. My body's risen from the dead. Who's going to take that away? So he says, you're not going to ask me. You're not going to question me. And by the way, that word there, two different words for ask. That word means uh, to ask an equal, to ask questions. He was human. They were human. Jesus never uses the next word, which means to ask a superior to make an appeal When he's talking to the Father or praying, he never uses that word because he's equal. Here it says, you're not going to question me anymore. But verily, verily, this is the last verily, verily in John's Gospel before chapter 21. Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, whatsoever, understand it, truly, truly, Whatsoever you shall ask, and that is is the word that means to ask someone who's superior to you, that you look up to. Whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will do it. When you approach him knowing that at the right hand of all power and authority is the carpenter from Galilee, The man, Christ Jesus, who's taken what you're wearing into glory forever, just like you will because of him. He had to die in it so we could rise in it. He said, from now on, what you ask the father, like any child respects the father, the father is a different role than them. But wherever you ask the father in my name, he says, you can know that he will give it to you. Hitherto, verse 24, that means before this, up until now. Hitherto means, all right, here's the transition. Now there's a change. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. You had a relationship with God. You went to the feasts, tabernacles, Pentecost, you know, Passover, uh, Feast of Trumpets. You you had prayers that were written You approached God with uh, the blood of a sacrifice. The veil in the temple had separated you from him. Up until this time, you never approached the Father in my name. You were under the law. There was a veil that kept you separate from him. Hitherto, to this point, and now there's going to be a transition, you asked nothing in my name, now he says, ask. It's a present imperative. You must persistently and continually be asking. And you shall receive that your joy may be full. You understand a little while. When we go through this dark valley that you have such questions about. Your hearts are so broken over. The pain that you're facing. When we come to the other side of that, there's a fullness of joy. And as I ascend to glory, you know, the same guy you sat at the table with. And broke bread with. And talked with for three years and 40 days. Is at the right hand of all authority and power. And you need to go continually and persistently that your joy may be full. Look, he says for human beings, the fullness of joy is directly related to prayer. You have this opportunity. The rest of the world doesn't know anything about it. Look, the world is rejoicing that Jesus is dead, that he's gone. They want to get rid of him all over again. They would crucify him if he came today. He says, but your reality, and here we are through the Holy Spirit, having not seen him, and he's blessed are those who believe without seeing. We know in our hearts that he's risen from the dead. We know in our hearts, by the Spirit, the comforter, he said, that would come that these things are real. We need to think about them. We need to, you know, just that's an incredible thought to realize the man, the carpenter, the the Messiah, the one they sat with, is risen. He's defeated death so that death will have no hold on our bodies. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, and the one we know and love is there. And whatever we go, asking our Father in his name, we can know we have that, that our joy. He's looking at them all sorrowful this night, their hearts tortured. What does he mean? We don't know what he's talking about. One thing after another, how do we, you know, how do we do this? How do we interpret this? What do we have to say about this? He said, it's going to change. Your sorrow is going to turn into, not disappear, it's going to transition. It's going to turn into joy. Like a woman having a baby. Same baby that uh, makes her scream nasty things at her husband is the same baby that gives her joy on the other side. So with you, he says. Little while, little while, little while, it's going to be passed. Amen? Amen. And we're going to stand in his presence in these. And the new model, by the way, I think the glorified, you know, we said, I didn't tell you to stand. I said, we're going to. (laughs) But I'm so glad you're listening. That that was amazing, really. That was amazing. (laughs) Hebrews says this to us. Settle down. This is the last verse. It's Hebrew says this, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. That's the yet a little while in our lives this morning. Now you can stand. <laughs> that was fun. You know, to me, again, these are things, you know, you sit alone with these things. You, you go to him in prayer. He says that you, your joy may be full. The time we spend before him in prayer. And he says, again, you must continually, persistently do this. If we realize there's a man there, our Savior, our Messiah, the one who died in our place, who suffered unimaginably, in in a human frame that we're made of the same stuff. He had a human mom and a divine father. But it was still human DNA. And he's still at the right hand of the Father, fully man, body, soul, and spirit. So we have this high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. Who in every way was tempted as we are yet without sin. And because of that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. If you're lacking joy here today. I'd ask some questions. Do you get up and spend time with the Lord every morning or stay up late and do it? What's your devotional life like? Do you spend time seeking him and talking to him and praying Knowing that he understands how you feel, he understands because he walked in it and he lives in it now forever. Jesus, worried about his disciples and us, says, You must (coughs) continually, persistently be praying because in that you have fullness of joy. Let's bow our hearts. Lord, we thank you for these things, Lord. And, um, speak to us, Lord. Lead us. And so often in life, Lord, we, we, we lack joy. So often we're asking questions about things. So often it doesn't seem like a little while, Lord. So often we need to be reminded by your Spirit, by your Word, that in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. In a little while. So Lord, have us afresh. As we sit alone, Lord, in our meditation and reading your word, just sitting in the park, wherever it might be, just quietly. Remind us that you're still standing. In the same frame we're wearing. That when you bring us to glory... You'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There's no sorrow or death there. No disease, no curse. And, Lord, that we will live on forever in glorified bodies. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.